Welcome to the podcast, everybody. We're talking about uh, <laughs> Norm Macdonald, comedian, SNL star, passed away. He died of cancer that he kept mm. a secret for nine years from his, from his family. family. Yeah. Wow. Which is which is nuts. I just have one question. Did he or did he not have a farm? Norm Macdonald had a farm. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> I quit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you. An exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes. With Rodrigo Garcia Plates, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. Can't. We're about to get phones. No. And also, guys, by the way, in two weeks, we're going to have our year anniversary. What? For, for real? We've been oh doing this gosh. for a year. I believe it was September 24th. We posted our first one. I can check. September 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. From here on out, I shoot without a script. Is that a, were you singing that? Was there a melody to what you just said? Yeah, it's Rent. I am so Yeah, <laughs> Dan got it. <laughs> we are now going to watch one of Brian's favorite Norm Macdonald jokes. Can you see him on my screen? I'm seeing him, yeah. I, my read is fake fire. He looks a little bit choleric, but his hands, his hands are small, so he has to be a fake fire, exactly. And if you look at him when he was younger, his jaw was so sharp. Yeah. Google young Norm Macdonald. It makes sense too, because he's, um, he would tell these like ridiculous off color jokes, but everyone just wanted to hug him all the time. He seems so like yeah. sweet. Skinny, phlegmatic, fake fire. Yeah. This is probably not one of my favorite jokes of his, but I just saw this yesterday for the first time. And it's just like, this was what, 10 days Dan said after the crocodile hunter died. I'm trying to talk <laughs> about the crocodile hunter. Did you? Because I think- Yeah, yeah you're yeah, gonna make yeah, him yeah. sad. Because I think, you know, it was, it was tragic at the time, but I think... <laughs> <laughs> Ten days after. I don't know. People calling me, man, they're shocked. Oh, hey, you wouldn't believe it. Who got killed? The crocodile hunter. <laughs> don't, please don't make me laugh at this. <laughs> like, he was do. 44 years old. I'm like, that's a ripe old age for a crocodile hunter. <laughs> <laughs> He is so in hell right now. <laughs> and you know who had to be pissed about it were the crocodiles, because uh, he got killed by some fruity fish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the crocodiles were like, hey man, that crocodile hunter got killed. Who did it, Frank? Uh, <laughs> you, know, you don't even want to know, man. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do this anymore. <laughs> it's, it's Yo, Bill, man, you had a chance when I had a chance. I had that mother. He was. He was Tommy with a stick. I could have eat him and his kid. I, I don't feel good about this. You remember I ever tell you that story, Bill? Yeah, only a thousand times. Wow. Oh. I mean, fuck. you should just like go down and watch him on like Conan and so many of his. The best he ever did was the roast of Bob Saget. Did you ever see that? No. I'm not gonna, it's a like eight minutes ago. long. It is so funny because if you have you seen those Comedy Central roasts where they yeah. roast someone and you know they'll go up and just say these like terrible jokes. He goes up and gives the tamest roast of everyone, 
all the jokes are like G-rated and the lamest jokes you've ever heard in your entire life. And he doubles down on them so hard. The audience, he loses the audience immediately. But like <laughs> all the other comedians are just like by halfway through, they're laughing so hard because these jokes are so bad, but like they're so <laughs> funny and how bad they are. They're like, you have to write them this bad to be this bad. They are like, it is, it's amazing watching him do it. Um, it I, always I blows my it. mind when people like Norm MacDonald can, can get away with like, what he gets away with it, it like it, it blows my mind that and here's like i guess the direction that we can go in for this episode is how do fucking people get away with shit and other people it's like you get busted or it just doesn't I, oh, work yes. well i think the fake fireness of it is a big part of it right fake fire men can get away with murder yeah i i couldn't i couldn't say some of those jokes and choleric men certainly couldn't or if they did it would have a different you know, when George Carlin said shit that was really like biting and incisive, it it hit in a very different way. Is Bill Burr choleric? Because he can get away with a lot too. I'm no, gonna bring up a dramatic. photo. He's a he's a fake fire. Because like let's go through all like the fake firemen that are funny, right? We've got Will Farrell, Louis C.K., we've got Bill Burr, yes. Norm MacDonald, um, Anthony Jeselnik, I'm pretty sure is a Steve fake fire Carroll. as well. Steve Carell, yeah, absolutely. Carell, yeah, yeah. Jezelnik's one, huh? I'm I'm 98 sure Jezelnik is a. Uh, uh, this guy does like the Who's most Jezelnik? offensive. I'm gonna bring up a photo right now. He does the mm. most amazing offensive jokes. Like his thing is saying the worst thing, or, or like making the joke right at the time that you shouldn't be making it. Oh yeah, I know him. Yeah, he's choleric. He's choleric. Yeah. He gets away with it. But he gets away with it in a choleric way. Yeah, he does. Like he's, he, it always sounds like he's saying like truths about the world that no one has the balls to say but him. Yeah, that is so true. And it sounds like he believes that everybody thinks the same thing. And when he says them, we're all like, yeah, no, no one thinks like that but you. But it's really funny to watch. But, but he looks aggressive. It looks like he would beat you up. And yeah. look at those penetrating eyes. I think it's why we like when he smiles. Yeah. It's like, I know what you mean. Cause like when Bill Burr or Norm MacDonald or whoever tells a joke, that's like really intense. We're kind of like laughing. We kind of know that there's something underneath. That's like, they're almost like smiling as they're doing it. Whereas Anthony Jeselnik isn't smile. It's just like so sharp and intense and it's funny in a very different way again, but it's like, it's like just a little more cutting. Um, Whereas with the fake fires, it, it's like, it should be cutting, but something about it is like joyous almost, even though it is like really dark. It also has a lot to do with the audience because you don't see anyone being funny like that in phlegmatic countries. Like if this guy, I forget his name, Jeselnik. Anthony Jeselnik, yeah. If Jeselnik was Mexican and was trying to make those types of jokes in Mexico, people would destroy him because everybody would be offended. But when the crowd is mainly choleric and melancholic, you can get away with that. Mm, interesting. I'm going to bring up more photos of Bill Burr as well. This is going to be the offensive comedian episode. Oh, Bill Burr. Sorry, I was, I was thinking of, of Bill Maher. Oh, Bill Maher is definitely phlegmatic. But Bill oh, Burr, yeah. I think, is I oh, think Bill, Bill Burr, Burr is, is 100% choleric. choleric. Yes, no questions asked. 
Completely. He got bold in the way Calerics get bold. Uh, <laughs> look at the look look at the bony hands, the extra skin on the face. And that's why he can get away with certain things in his stand-up that are mind-blowing. Like he's always angry. I love, I love what like he's the only comedian that's able to stand in front of a city and tell them how shitty their city is for 50 minutes straight. Oh, that's a great club. A fake fire would be able yeah. to do that too. Yeah. So like why wouldn't be that funny? Yeah. Why is his it anger like funny? more accept like being a choleric why does it not scare people when he kind of goes into those places like what is he must have like a little bit of a superpower to be able to do that yeah because the the authentic superpower of cholerics is that what they say is absolutely authentic Hmm. so when they tell you this person is shit they're being completely truthful and that makes it funny because then you know that they actually mean it they really mean it and that's what makes it funny that like the fact that they can push it in that direction yeah it's almost like funny to be like oh my god look how angry they're actually getting because of this that is (laughs) so funny like when the guy that does his set uh like he has he has this bit about what women do when they see a, a, a male's like a man's calendar empty and now they want to fill it up with shit. And he starts losing it on stage, telling the story about, of course, I want to wake up early on Sunday to pay 50 bucks for eggs and to go to brunch <laughs> with your friends uh, and things like that. So oh, yeah, yeah. so when cholerics take it in that direction, which is the same thing that Jesselnik does, they're really funny because they really mean it. And then when you see like just a gist of their emotions, you really value it. Like Bill Burr's, like I'm actually a big fan, like Bill Burr's piece of how to, how to educate a kid, how to raise a kid. And, and when he says, I'll, I'll just play catch with him. And he has this whole conversation and he, as he's pretending to play catch with a kid and saying like, no, like mom and I love each other. Like relationships are just like that. You're going to figure it out at some point. And don't, even, don't, don't ever tell your mom we're talking about this. And bang as many chicks as you can until you settle down. And when you settle down, then you'll calm down. But right now, fuck everything that moves. Only Calaris can get away with saying <laughs> things like that and making it sound emotional, like an actual, an actual emotional connection. I think Elizabeth had a really great point in the chat. She said, um, the chat just went away. She said, clerics getting angry at things or circumstances is funny, but getting angry at people is scary. I think that's a that really good point. Unless the person is not there. If they're extremely angry, angry about someone who's not there, can't be offended by them, then it's funny to listen to. Bill Burr is also like the only one that stood up to Joe Rogan in a really interesting way. And like, like had Joe Rogan laughing. Like, I just love how he's like, just straight into the point about whatever he believes. I pulled up a photo of Bob Saget now. One of the patrons asked about Bob Saget. Bob Saget is absolutely melancholic. That would be my guess as well. Another Brian. You, wow, you get, another, you get, another yeah. cool one on my team. Yeah, you, you get John Stewart, <laughs> but you also get Bob Saget. And there's a couple of pictures of him where he looks like his face is getting thicker, and that has to do with whatever he is using. You mean sugar? Drugs and alcohol do that. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that tracks. Just especially alcohol. Wow, look at that face. Yeah. yeah, alcohol makes your makes your face like huge right. after Bloating. you use it for a long time. Yeah, a comedian that drinks <laughs> <laughs> and that does cocaine and that does coke. They're always making jokes about that. Yeah, yeah, he looks dramatic yeah. in that photo. <laughs> oh my I goodness. mean, yeah, almost except for the tiny eyes. Except for the tiny eyes. All right, any other comedians? <laughs> You guys want to look up? Oh, Andy Why Kaufman you- is a great question. I think Andy Kaufman's another phlegmatic fake fire. I agree. 
Yeah, but which is weird like because twice. he was played by Jim Carrey in Man on the Moon. And he had to gain a lot of weight for it. Yeah, I also think, it, I think Jim did a great job there, but I've always thought there was something Jim couldn't capture in that role. And I think it is the fact that just he doesn't have Because the, Jim is too serious and dramatic because he's a cleric. Yeah. Here's a question. Why did Jerry Lewis, this might be something you don't know. Jerry Lewis, you know him? Just by name. Here, can you pull up Jerry Lewis? Yeah, yeah, he I'm became right humongous in France. Like that was the big joke is Jerry Lewis was he, even bigger than like in America. Like, and he was like this weird little monkey clown boy was sort of his thing. <laughs> um, I mean, it's kind of hard to see just from photos, but I've always wondered why France particularly took to this like, I mean, there was is- Was he melancholic? He doesn't look melancholic. I don't think, I think he's a fake fire. He was just like- totally bonkers and insane like he was i mean look at him in the bottom left is uh the nutty professor brian does the most amazing jerry lewis impression he, he does oh, one of jerry, yeah it's it's actually it was one of the first things i ever saw you do live and i thought it was fucking amazing yeah thank you can we get a bit of it <laughs> you already got super bass uh <laughs> no you need like what's need- what's the song brian it's just like a typewriter song or something. I found it. I don't know if you can find it online, but you can. I think the I had it. I think I had it downloaded from LimeWire 15 years ago. Wow. <laughs> LimeWire. Wow. Yeah, Leroy Anderson. I mean, Le- I'm not going to do Anderson. it. Leroy Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you could do it. No. Okay. <laughs> is it, Ross, this is a podcast. Remember, first yeah. yeah. So, I'll just tell you what it is. You can look it up. It's. I mean, you should really watch Jerry Lewis do it because that's what I do. Which is, he just there's a song where it's just like a typewriter typing. He goes like, and you hear the typing of the types. The keys. Uh, and he goes, yeah, exactly. And it's like a minute and a half routine where Jerry Lewis basically just does it. That's all he does. He makes kind of weird faces. He does it. It was huge. Then I, on YouTube, there are all these people doing their own versions of it. And I watched all of them. I was like, this It's is- like what, Brian? It's like what? All right. Is this it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I'm not doing it. It's not going to be good here. You get it. <laughs> oh my God, Brian, you're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> it doesn't even have the middle ding there. It's not the right version. Of the it's not the right version? And I just do it and then I speed it up and I get more intense. I use my whole body to do it. And then like by the end, it's just like. I'm doing the whole thing with my entire body and I hit every note perfectly and I never miss. And that's the whole bit. It's like two minutes long. Um, do your plug, Brian. Where can we Oh, see? we also, Nick and I, you saw it within the, the sketch that Nick and I did, Yeah, right? the sketch that you guys did. It's more fun to talk about how it looks on stage than coming to see a Britannic show. I want to see a Britannic show. Yeah, you should. I love your sketches. Thanks, man. Okay, I'll tell you this. This is funny. The way Nick and I put it, because I learned it, right? And Nick was, I showed it to Nick and he was like, why did you learn that? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, okay. Like he was like upset that I spent a summer learning it. And then we put it into a Britannic show, which is like, I work at the DMV and Nick shows up and he needs like his license renewed. And I'm like, okay, it'll only take one moment. Nick goes, okay, cool. Just don't, whatever you do, don't do it silly. I'm like, what? He's like, whatever you do to fix my license, just don't, don't be silly about it. I'm like, okay. Then like we have like a long stare off and he goes and sits down and then I just do it with that song for two minutes. And that's like the whole sketch. He just like glares at me the entire time from across the stage. It's so it's like so good. It's so good. I'm I'm so disappointed that he's not gonna do it right here on Zoom. It just wouldn't be good. Well, well, so think- next time next time we go to Micah's house, I'll do the typewriter, you can film it. Brian, it the everything you do is fantastic. Thank you, Rodrigo. It's very kind of you to say. My favorite thing to do to each of you is put you in situations where it's like, come on, perform, do the thing. 
<laughs> oh, I've, I've noticed more than once. But you know what I've noticed is that neither of you have dropped the ball. So it's like, okay, I'll just keep going until you fail. I'll just keep doing it <laughs> until. To Russ, like, how do we put him on the spot? Yeah, yeah what's the, the thing? Spot, what's the thing that uh, my friends used what's to do it to me all the time with Dale Forhammer? Yeah, what's a skill spot? that I have? It's a single skill that you. Uh... <laughs> is there anything that you do that you're special at, Russ? No, pretty just generic as a guy. As a, you know, I'm a, real, a pretty good host uh, keeping um, us on track for this podcast. Middle of the road. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a decent timekeeper. I'm like, I can do numbers if you want people to like, you know. <laughs> and a group of friends. Ross, keep time. Yeah, watch yeah. this, guys. Keep time, Ross. <laughs> See, look Ross, at what's 13 times 78? <laughs> 374, dude. Boom. <laughs> Way off. <laughs> yeah. Way off. <laughs> I said whatever came to mind in front of a melancholic about numbers, and uh, you know that's what you get. Um, all right, guys, what are we talking about? Yeah, what are, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> the half-hour-long cold open. <laughs> well, thank Just you, like Dan. SNL. But remember how the, the, in the last episode I, I opened up for the first time the difference between carrying the pattern and carrying the symptom within systemic psychology. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Do we talk? What about do you guys that? remember about that? I don't know. I was hypnotized. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was Archie. Yeah. <laughs> I was Archie. That is so true. In the lake with the yeah, children. That's right. That's right. Carrying uh, the pattern versus carrying the symptom. Carrying the pattern is where you are the enforcer of the pattern, and carrying the symptom is where you're like the receiving end of the pattern. Is how mm-hmm. I articulate that. That's that's almost accurate. All right. I'm a good 66%. Good old 66% Birkin is what they call me. No comment. <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? You guys, we're having a loopy day. We're having a loopy day. So, Brian, what's the difference between carrying the symptom and carrying the pattern in systemic psychology? When you carry the pattern, it means that you're basically following a pattern that I don't know. I was going to say what Ross said, essentially. So if he was only 66% right, I'm not sure. I thought it was that carrying the symptom was you're on the receiving end of it. And if you're carrying the pattern, you're, you're forcing that pattern forward. Whereas you're carrying the symptom, it's like been forced on you. And now you're carrying it without knowing it. I don't know. I'm not sure. Oh, Anna, Anna just got it right. System is sacrificing yourself for the system. It's pretty much what I was saying, honestly. It's just in different words. Um, yeah, sacrificing yourself for the system. That's right. That's it. Um, explain more. I mean, I mean, they're both sacrificing yourself for the system. There, there are two categories that we have within systemic loyalties. What is a systemic loyalty? Good job, Ryan. What is a systemic loyalty? A systemic loyalty is when you start realizing that that something about your actions, your choices, who you are and your motivations in life cannot really be justified by you as an individual. Like you're doing things and you don't understand why you keep doing them. You put yourself in certain situations. You keep doing things for other people. Um, You keep sacrificing yourself and putting yourself at the end. Like you're the least deserving human being in the world and, and really nothing in your past, your beliefs, your traumas, nothing explains it. So it means that you have a systemic loyalty. It means that out of loyalty to the system, you're you're acting a certain way, choosing a certain path, creating a certain career, because it it seems like your system needs it, and we're looking for balance. We're creating balance in the system. Now, in loyalties, we have people that carry the symptom and people that carry the carry the pattern. The people that carry the pattern are the ones that are 
providing something that the system needs. They usually get a lot of acknowledgement for it. They end up dedicating their lives to it. They look for careers and jobs that allow them to be like that everywhere. And they collapse their identity with that way of being. Like they think that that's what they were born to, to create and who they were born to be. And, and they get lost like very dramatically around late 30s, early 40s because they realize that they haven't made any real choices in their lives and they don't, they maybe don't even enjoy what they do with their lives. And then we have uh, examples of this would be um, becoming your parent's parent, uh, becoming the, the extremely wise one to save everyone, uh, being the first one who finishes college in your, in your system and giving joy and pride to everyone that you can see how that creates a lot of acknowledgement for you too. And then we have people that carry the symptom and carrying the symptom usually means that someone else, most of the times, that someone else is, is carrying the pattern and providing something to the family, to the system, while you are getting out of the way somehow. You can either be the person that never creates a problem and no one knows anything right. about the the person that that's the biggest fuck up in history and and you you might be an addict or an alcoholic or something like that and that allows the system to get everything they need from that other person within the system and they seem perfect compared to you because you're carrying the symptom yes so Teresa said child, it child. that's exactly you know, that's exactly yes. what um oh. Brenna just yeah, wrote. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Teresa That's also perfect. said it. Carrying the symptom means that you take the hit so others can shine. Carrying the pattern is like following a pattern to fit in. Okay, so... That's with, really good, Teresa. Good work, Teresa. Um, if you're carrying the pattern, basically you fill a role to essentially fix your system and make it better. So, of course, I can see how that makes you like believe that's who you are. It's like you, you survive and thrive because of the way that you've like created your patterns, keep living. Carrying the symptom, you basically, so the person who carries a pattern kind of like fixes the system in their head with the way they are, person who, or the pattern. Person who carries the symptom sees that the, it's like going well, so they carry the symptom to get out of the way. Does that mean that people who end up carrying the symptom have often like lower self-esteem about themselves and the people yes. who carry the pattern have yes. high self-esteem, but have a rude awakening coming for them once they realize it's not who they really are. I love how you're explaining it because you're actually opening up really interesting things. So yes, the only thing that I would add to that, and that was a brilliant breakdown, Brian, by the way, of course, yeah. a resident melancholic did it. But um, <laughs> Brian's hair even looks like a mad scientist that just spent hours trying to figure it out. Yes, Don't make the it. face. I'll play the music again. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> boring. <laughs> the big distinction is this. Remember that in systemic psychology, one of the rules, if not the main rule, is things that are never seen and addressed within a system, within a family system, will always create disease. Like uh, the system will feel out of balance. And because you're not mentioning it, it will become like a problem. And someone will subconsciously pick up on the problem and try and sacrifice their lives to try and bring to the system what the system's lacking. But it will become more of a problem. Even as they get acknowledgement, if I start acting like my grandfather within my family, 
I will get a lot of acknowledgement, but I will never learn how to relate to other people like equals. I will never learn how to have a mentor. I will never learn how to receive from other people. I only know how to give and how to lead. And I will have a rude awakening because I will realize the areas of friction that I have in my life because I fell into this pattern and I never learned certain things and I never created certain abilities. That's the rude awakening. And, and the really hard thing about the people that are doing the opposite, not the pattern, but the symptom is that there is, sac well, they're both sacrificing their lives, but the person carrying the symptom is sacrificing their lives, usually with zero success and acknowledgement. And in the end, they're usually the ones that are really trying to care for the family. Like in emergencies, it's usually the person that's carrying the symptom, not the person that's carrying the pattern that show up. It's usually wow. the fuck up that show up, not the prodigal son. That is, I mean, we had something like this on our podcast a few months ago, a, a, yep. a friend of mine, and it's so true with that family. Yeah. It is. Oh my God. It's crazy. Yeah. Was, was, uh, Andrew carrying the symptom and Chris carrying the pattern? Yes. 100%. Yes, very much so. And being the fuck up as a symptom allows the family to enjoy the pattern. Yeah, he really does care about the family. Like he's, it's Yeah, nice exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like my sister and I, I'm the prodigal son carrying the pattern, even though I stopped, thank God. But my sister is the one that's there with my parents all the time, every time they need something. And, and my parents don't really appreciate it as much as they should. Wow. So how come the symptom often is one that really does want to stand up for the family? Why is that? Even the person who has the pattern looks like they are, or at least started that way. Because they already like, they're already sacrificing, sacrificing their life out of love and willing to be seen as a fuck up, like through everyone's eyes, just to make sure that the family's okay. So when the family breaks down in another way, they already love them and know how to sacrifice for them, but no one will be thankful for them. And it's horrible, but the symptom shows up, saves the day, and then the pattern shows up, and the pattern just says, hello, is everyone okay? And people are going to mention that that the guy who's the pattern showed up, not that the guy who's the symptom showed up and fixed the whole thing hours before. Wow. Camelia is asking, what if there are more than two offsprings? Can more than one person be the fuck up? I would, I would imagine that more than one person could be the carrying the pattern, but it's hard to have more than one person carrying the symptom. Not really. Remember that family we saw in, in Venice when we were filming our yes. cold yeah, reading yeah. of people on the streets? Yes. Remember yeah. how, I, how we had three siblings there and I was like, pattern, uh, symptom, and you're free? Oh. If you have three kids and you have a like a massive systemic loyalty happening in your system that has never been addressed, one of the kids will carry the pattern, one of them will carry the symptom, and one of them will be completely free. And look at the whole system like you guys are aliens. <laughs> huh. Huh. What about what when we get uh like I'm thinking of like Orthodox Jewish families that have like six or seven kids. Yeah. Like are there are the rest of them free? Is it like one pattern, one symptom, one free, two free, three free? It depends. Usually I've seen I've seen more than one person carrying the pattern, like trying to provide something to the system and sacrificing their lives a little bit, but getting a lot of acknowledgement for it. But there's usually just one symptom because you just need one fuck up. Yeah, I feel like one fuck up can handle it for everyone. Yeah. You yeah. just need one person in the psychiatric hospital for everyone else to have an amazing Thanksgiving without them. Brian, are you the symptom or the pattern? I've been thinking. 
I'm not sure. I mean, I'm definitely a pattern. Am I a symptom? No, you're the symptom, I think. That might you're hundred percent the symptom. Oh. <laughs> think think about what the symptom does. The, the symptom takes the hit so that the pattern can live on, and your whole thing is about taking the hit so that you That's true. I mean, yes, there's a pattern that is very much yes, yes. That's yeah, I was thinking about it from a different perspective of like never I have needing to, I, anything, not being the problem, allow, right. allowing the space for everyone else, being extremely generous. Yes, I think the way I was thinking about pattern is I had this other part of me that's like, well, I have to now achieve so much because you know there's someone in my family that like I, I had this need as a kid to balance it out because I was like, oh, my parents, they had a, a sibling that wouldn't be able to do anything. So I have to do everything then. Like I have to I, be, I have to excel in all these ways. That, that is true, but I'll give you the worst rude awakening in the world. <sighs> Again, I, I mean, my goodness, <laughs> how many are there? This one is not that hard, but um, you do experience the lack of the pattern in your system, but you're not carrying it. In fact, even not being massively successful is a way of honoring your sister and your system in general. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah. So you can sense the lack of that pattern, uh, but but you're not willing. Like you're so much of the symptom that you're not willing to create it for yourself or others. And 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 that's why you're massively talented, brilliant, but you honestly need very little to be satisfied. Like in relationships, money-wise, travel-wise, like you, you, you're comfortable everywhere, which is mind-blowing for a melancholic. Like your systemic loyalty is so strong that 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 gives you abilities that melancholics shouldn't be able to have. Oh, interesting. I've always felt I was very different than a lot of melancholics. Yep, you are, and we love you for it. Thank you. Uh, now, I, the, I need the to interesting write this down. thing. <laughs> The, the interesting thing is that there is a small Do you want to write it down on a typewriter, Brian? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fire you again. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> what are you still doing here? <laughs> so, he's carrying the, fired like three episodes He's carrying ago. the symptom of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what I wanted to tell you before we go into all the questions from the patrons, because now the chat is going crazy. Um, the, the first thing, I, I, the, like the extra thing that I wanted to explain is there's a few people, a small group of people in the world that are actually both the, the symptom and the pattern. Mm. Okay. What does that look like? Um, like a few of our students. It has Ooh. like a, 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 a plaid shirt with like blue and yellow <laughs> and then an, an, a shirt underneath with stripes of red and black and some thick stripes and some narrow stripes. That's how they always look. That's how they always look. It's, it's the, it's, they're very easy to spot unless you're colorblind. Um, <laughs> or unless you're just listening to a podcast. Yeah. This has been a very uh, visual, visual episode of this podcast. <laughs> We're going to need to release a video of this one. Yeah. Maybe Spotify will give you, I mean, not $100 million like Joe, Joe Rogan, but if they give us 100 bucks, we'll give them the video. <laughs> <laughs> well, easy. Like, let's talk about yeah, this yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, come on. We got That's better negotiation than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, okay, Rodrigo would settle for 100, so we know where to start negotiating. No, wait, when you, <laughs> when, 
Started a hundred million dollars. Yeah, our floor is a hundred bucks. <laughs> we got We're it down to an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a 13 Pro, yeah, I mean, those are looking nice. Uh, okay, back to Brian. Not me. I, I, you're saying some of our students <laughs> carry both the patterns. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> now, when you said students, do you mean people in the patron right now, or students that we don't have? We do yeah. have a couple of people in, in the patrons right now that I know very well and that are carrying both symptom and pattern. And, and when you're carrying both symptom and pattern, it becomes extremely confusing to go through life because you're, do, you're living like a double life. Like on one side, you cannot take the acknowledgement. And on the other, your main purpose is to save other people. And to help and support other people somehow and being the most selfless human being in the world. So every a, single patron right now is like, is it me? Is so he wait, talking about right. me? Wait, so when you carry the pattern, it's often about that that often involves caring for people, like being really much like a, a provider of so, is that often what it looks like? Not necessarily. That's that's one of the most common like uh situations, but right. um it can be um it can be whatever the system needed. So for example, carrying the pattern can also like can also include a little bit of suffering. So to give you an example, if if my grandfather and a few of my great uncles went to war, killed a lot of people, they felt a lot of guilt and shame, never spoke about it again. Carrying the the pattern can be um, trying to care for others or uh, trying to destroy myself being extremely ashamed of, of being ambitious in any way possible and kind of destroying my own life because that's what the system needs. That can be carrying the pattern, even though it sounds like the symptom because they're not the fuck up in the family. They're just the person suffering within the family, the guilt and shame that other people didn't express generations ago. I feel like I do that. Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was expecting you to jump right after that. Yeah. I mean like that, because that makes a ton of sense because I often feel, and again, like, you know, me and my woo, 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 I approach it from more of a spiritual place because I'm like, (laughs) I feel like I carry like the karma of generations before me within me. And I'm like, God, like I, I honestly feel like a lot of the personal work that I do is not just for me, but for like the family that came before me because they, they, we're all phlegmatics, but we were not like my family is not pure phlegmatics. My family is mostly, or at least the men, mostly fake fires if they're phlegmatic. Well, thank you guys for listening to this. Episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm also like thinking about like carrying the symptom, how that's so it is so true for me. Cause like as a kid, my big refrain, the thing I would always say is that my family was perfect. And we've talked about this a little bit, but it's like my parents were a little bit older. They had everything. They had figured out Amy and how to work with that. They were financially stable. They never fought as far as I could tell. Like everything just sort of seemed to, there was no room for me to fix anything. So it was just like, stay out of the way. They got this. That was kind of my way of looking at it. 
That's so interesting. Wait, so am I the one that's carrying the symptom and the pattern? Is that the patron that you were talking about? Is that a twist? <laughs> Is that me? I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm going to have to go back and really pay attention to this episode then. Um, <laughs> instead of just thinking about when to play the typewriter noise. Um, oh, interesting. I, I, would be, I would like to talk to someone who's carrying both, whether it's Ross or one yeah, of let's our, talk. Let's, let's talk to me uh, about it, Ro. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Like, yeah. Do you think it applies to you? Yes. Because I, I think I carry the symptom because it's like I do take the hit, but I also follow the pattern. It's like I respect the system and try and stay within the, the lines of it. But at the same time, I like I definitely feel like I've I've been like the quote unquote fuck up or the I wouldn't say fuck up. I'd call it weird one. But lately I have been thinking like, oh, shit, like I'm. Uh, very different than my nuclear family, at least in my approach to life and all that jazz. So I, I feel like I'm both not, an alien and a product of them at the same time. Let, let me put it this way. I'm not 100% sure if you're carrying both the pattern and the symptom, mm -hmm. but I feel like you're either doing that very clearly and your mm -hmm. sister has a lot of freedom from what I know. Mm -hmm. And And on the other side, maybe it's not pattern and symptom. Maybe there's shame in your family and you're kind of get like carrying the pattern by carrying the shame because I don't see your family rejecting you. They love you like crazy. Yeah, But it's do. true that you feel like the outsider and at the same time, you constantly make it like a statement that you're different from them and your priorities are different and that that's how life is going to be. Like you need to suffer somehow from a disconnect from the system. And, yeah. and, that, and that would be a perfect way of carrying shame of what someone did generations ago. And I have no idea what that is. I do know that there's a conflict between my dad's side. My dad's system and my mom's system are very different. And their priorities and values are so different. Um, my my dad's family was a little bit more well off, and like, well, not it wasn't financial. It was like my my dad's family was very like couth, and uh, they lived a little bit more upper class. And my mom's family was like a little bit more like, uh, uh, you know, like they swear. Like my dad's family doesn't necessarily swear a whole lot, and they like, you mm -hmm. know, Nana was like clutching her pearls, but like my my grandfather was like. You know, he liked his smoked fish and would like to go into like the the <laughs> rough and tumble parts of New York. Like he fit in more in like the lower. He, he was fine with like lower class people, but my my dad's side of the family is a little snootier. So I feel like I bridge that gap a little bit. Like I'm a little everywhere about that. Does that oh, make sense? Let, let me share something with you that might might open certain things. Yeah. So. My family changed very dramatically at some point because of something my mom was doing. So because my mom felt that her Spanish family was extremely misogynistic and macho and, and she was the only daughter and, and she never felt like they paid, paid attention to her. Uh, I think, well, Ross, you know this, that my mom didn't register my daughter, my daughter, my, my sister and myself as as Spanish uh, residents living outside the country because she was angry at her family. And for a while, my family felt like we didn't really belong anywhere. And like we weren't from here, we weren't from there, and we weren't proud of who we were because we were losing our roots, at least 50% of our roots because my mom was trying to reject her own system. 
as soon as my grandfather died, and that's why I wrote the exercise, the my mom dad exercise the way I did, that I even explained this. As soon as my grandfather died, she be- he became the closest thing to God to my mom, even though she hated him. Mm-hmm. And and then my mom asked me to open a business in Spain, and we opened the Mexican cheese factory over there, and. And she started getting in touch with all of her family and, and asking them to come and, and, and we being extremely close to them. And then my family started feeling like we belonged to something and there was some lineage to us and that we deserve better. And like the whole sense of, of, of having the Plata's last name completely shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, and had she not done that, you would see the pattern of not belonging. And one of my kids trying to create uh, some sort of lineage and being the leader of the system, trying to guide everybody through, trying to give to the system the belonging that they didn't have. Or if they were carrying the symptom, then one of my kids would probably leave Mexico, never feel Mexican, completely renounce their like Mexican ideology. Because if we lost the Spanish one, the way of protecting the system and carrying the symptom would be losing my own identity from my own nation. Because if we couldn't have the prior one, then we can't have the new one either. And he would be the fuck up and he would allow the rest of us to feel Mexican. Yeah, I feel like a weird combination between the two of those. Yep, I agree. Like I left the Bay Area where my family is. My sister moved back to the Bay Area where my family mm-hmm. is. Like that's always where she wanted to go. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be there necessarily. Like it, it feels like a little enclosing to me to, to be living that close to my family. Like it feels like they have too much input on my life. Um, and my sister's very good about drawing boundaries with my parents. I'm not. Like it's, it feels like it, uh, uh, like. To this day, when my mom calls, no matter what I'm doing, I'll I'll answer or at least feel the strong desire to answer. And I go, is everything okay? That's how I answer the phone. Is everything okay? Um, <laughs> and she's like, yeah. Like, why do you always answer like that? And for whatever reason, I always think something's going wrong. But I left. Our culture is Jewish, right? That, like, that's the, mm-hmm. the closest thing that I have to culture. Um, uh, and I left organized Judaism because it was so restrictive to me. And so now you're in disorganized Judaism. Now I'm in disorganized Judaism, which is honestly, I think the, the best type of Judaism. Um, <laughs> but then I, I came back to it in my own way, but my version of Judaism is very different than my mom's, my sister's, my dad's. Like I am kind of outside. So I'm like tied to the culture in a way, but in my own way that feels like like uh, an internal narrative within me is don't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And that still lives very strongly, which I don't know if that's rejecting the system or what. Can I ask you a really hard question? Yes. Has anyone ever said no? <laughs> <laughs> you must have no, gotten some really. no. Really? Yeah, yeah. No I guess if, they're, if they're here to see you, yeah. We I don't guess. know what the question is. Uh, you can ask me a hard question. We'll see if I answer it. I probably will for the content. Is there right. anyone in the last two generations of your family that was somehow expelled from the system or completely um, like disowned? On mother or father's side, it doesn't matter. Yeah. He, uh, I could think of my, my grandfather had a brother that mm-hmm. was like a total 
asshole. And again, I, I never heard it from him. I only heard it from my mom. But like this guy, like they were, they were fighting. Like there was like real fights. And he died before I was ever born. But he's the only one that I could think about that would possibly be him. Because that would perfectly describe why you're doing what you're doing. This is a way of honoring the people that were expelled from the system because it hasn't been addressed. So someone new needs to be like different and not fit in at all and very weird. Uh, you can be gay uh, or whatever uh, like makes your family suffer somehow and see mm -hmm. you as different or, or choose a career in arts or anything like so that. So it doesn't have to be the same way that... No, not okay. at all. It's because just I, about not belonging because if that person couldn't have their place respected within the system, then the system needs to pay the price. I relate most closely emotionally to my grandfather, my mom's dad. Like, I, mm -hmm. I feel like he's he's a total phlegmatic. I think he might have been a fake fire. I'm not. He was just like, when I met him, when I came into the world, he already softened, was totally sweet. But he was like the patriarch of his family. He stepped up, yeah. made the money, took care of them. Um, he kind of sacrificed his childhood um, mm -hmm. to be in charge of the family. He's the one that I I feel most biologically similar to, like the things that I like or the things that he liked, but I don't feel like I am, I guess, in a little bit of judgment because I don't do that for my family. I am not stepping up in a way. And I think I feel no, a little guilt around no, that. No, you're, you're, you're doing it for your grandfather. Like what he just described is perfect because then the, the, like that would make you the symptom and that would make you someone that loved and admired your, your grandfather so much that you will like honor his brother and his not belonging to the system, even uh -huh. if that means like suffering a disconnect from your own family. Interesting. Okay. You're it's like giving him his brother back somehow. Either giving him his brother back or giving him the childhood that he had to give up. Like, because like, I was just thinking about this the other day. I'll just be honest about it. Like I hear about people that are just graduating from college and I realize that they were, are like 10 years younger than me. And I go, yeah. Ooh, weird. I still kind of feel like I'm in that phase of my life. <laughs> like if you were like, Ross, how long ago did you graduate college? I'd be like four years. And it's like, Oh no, over, over 10 years ago. Fuck. Like, I feel <laughs> like that's where I'm at right now is four years out of college. And that's so interesting. Yeah. I feel like that too, until you go party with them. Have you done that? Like hung out with a 22 year old recently? It's like, <laughs> oh my God, this is, I thought I was your age and I am, no, this is wrong. This should be illegal that we're talking to each other. They do such harder drugs now. For us, it was like we would go out and get like drunk at a bar and now they're like doing ketamine and like drugs of Dude, different Dude, I feel like that, that with 16-year-olds. I thought they, I they scared kids me. aren't like having sex as much and aren't partying as much because they're so like in their phones at home. Is that not true? I mean, I'm uh, sure it just depends on the 16-year-old. Yeah, it's maybe the ones true. online. No, <laughs> the, but the ones that are going, they're just, they're fucking wild. I, I do think it's interesting like in my class no one was like this but the year like below me i was 2004 the 2005 year of high school they were like all crazy and would kind of do shit like this and i wonder like do when you were in groups i feel like i've heard this story like people told us before we're like their high school class everyone was kind of the same way and the class right below them was so different 
do you kind of like fall into the patterns of like where you, I assume yes is the answer to this, but like where you identify with, like it just seems that like in high school, every class has their own vibe and people yeah. for the majority kind of fit that vibe. And it's intriguing to me. Were you a public high school? No, I went to the Atlanta International School. Okay. Because my graduating class had 23 kids in it. Mine had so, 60 and I thought yeah. I was small. 23. Yeah. Wow. Your graduating yeah. class had 13. Your graduating what? class had 13? <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting when we, as we keep talking, finding all of the things that we have in common, like the system of this podcast. Like no. even I'm wondering, I look at this at the way in which we dress, like Rodrigo, you're always the, the, the most professionally dressed I always look like I rolled out of bed and Brian always looks like he's an extra <laughs> in some rent production. No, like, like yeah. an extra in the walking dead. Yeah. <laughs> I literally, I was wearing stripes when I woke up and I like, I was like, Hmm, Oh, plaid does not go with stripes. Let's do it. Like I want, I wanted to do it and like go out and get brunch. But like, I, I mean, I, I haven't dressed up. I went out to dinner the other night and it was the Wait, first Camille time. Camille just I've been... wrote, which one's the fuck up? And she yeah. wrote, Brian. That <laughs> <laughs> was an open-ended question. <laughs> I like that she asked it and then answered it instead of just declaring Brian's the fuck up. Brian. <laughs> Dude, Camelia should be like at the cover of the podcast. Her comments are always firewater spot on. <laughs> we haven't done our firewater episode yet. We got to do that. We got to do oh, that. Oh, I have a question. I got a yeah. massive firewater in a, in a live yesterday. In Instagram. Oh, dude, you know, you keep saying how rare they are, and yet they keep showing up. So either all of the six no. of them that exist. No, Raz. Raz. eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> something, something must have shifted in the way that we can teach what we teach that we're, we're becoming useful for firewaters. That's why they're right. That's what I was about to say. Like, oh, because we don't connect that much with cholerics. No. Our, we have, no. that, that's our smallest percentage of listenership. Except for Reed. Except for Reed. We've got our- And except our, for Brian that only looks for cholerics everywhere. Oh, I thought you were about to drop on me that I'm a secret choleric I've been waiting for. <laughs> he's <laughs> been hoping, he's been praying. Look at these eyes. Look at these eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see what Camelia just wrote? She said, dude, you guys saved me literally, LOL. I would not be t uh, talking to my family right now if I didn't understand they, they were all just sad phlegmatics. <laughs> yeah, well, that, you know what? Maybe that's what it is because I think maybe fake fires go through, especially with what's going on in the world right now with the feminine and the masculine, whatever dynamic, um, yeah. they must be going through some sort of an internal struggle of understanding themselves and the world around them. Uh, and we the authentic have a nice man and answer. the authentic man exposed coming soon to RGPD. We can't call it the authentic man exposed. That's too funny. Okay, the authentic man and the authentic man. The, 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 the authentic the man uh, undressed and erect. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll figure it out. We're gonna be we're gonna be bringing the authentic man for for women. Uh, uh, that you guys can kind of come in and learn about the masculine training. That's going to be such a good one. We're going to put that on the calendar next next week. We're going to have a, a date announcement after Let's, that. I love doing that. Yeah, job. that one's so good. Can I ask about something that we were sort of talking about earlier that or just made me think of something? As um, any, have no, we ever said no? no? Okay, goodbye. Oh, I guess Rodrigo has. <laughs> I was just thinking about when you were talking about kind of your family history, Ross, uh, that there's something that uh, I've always noticed and been a little jealous of. And I'm With wondering- me? No, no. Well, yeah, with everyone, which is 
I feel like I have very, very little connection to my lineage and uh, ancestry and everything. Like I, I am vaguely Irish. That's kind of all I know. I don't really care about it. I don't know any like Irish people in my family. We don't have any traditions. When I was born, all Shut of Shut up, Brian. You don't even speak Irish. I don't even, I speak a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> when I was born, but even like close to, like my grandparents were all in their late 70s, early 80s when I was born. So I didn't really get to know them for that long before they were gone. Mm. So it's like, I don't even, for me, my entire family kind of ends at my parents. I know they don't, but like, I just don't seem to have, I have a lot of friends who have like, you know, their grandparents are still alive or they have a lot of stories or they have traditions and they have culture. And I don't seem to have any of it. And I wonder how that affects you in terms of if you feel connected to your lineage versus if you don't, what systemic thing that do does or doesn't do to you or all that kind of shit. Well, it's it, like, that's extremely important. And I grew up without it. And then I acquired it. And, mm. and because of my mom, not because of me, but, but honestly, it feels really nice to have it. But my statement uh, about it was my mom saying, you're Spanish and me saying, I'm Mexican. Right. And she's like, but you look Spanish. I'm Mexican. Like you raised me Mexican. I could not be any more Mexican. Every time I'm walking around in the States, Russ makes fun of me because I introduce myself like, hi, my name is Rodrigo and I'm Mexican. I know. Yeah, it's like right there. <laughs> it's the most important thing. So I'm wondering. But, but I mean, yeah, the question is like. I want to bring yeah. this up real quick because I'm, I'm wondering, did he skip a step of spiral dynamic development? Or like, oh, I know like, like Ooh, Brian. Yeah. So, so one of the, the phases of spiral dynamics is like the, mm -hmm. I don't know what that is, by the way. Spiral dynamics it's is Dr. Dunn yeah. Beck's study of, of consciousness. And it's the most respected study of consciousness in the scientific world today. Okay. It's like, like how we develop. So, so Tony Robbins has the best demonstration of this at his date with destiny workshop where people uh, who identify with these different states of spiral dynamics, like raise their hand and he shows how they interact with each other. It's brilliant. So um, like you have the survival bands, like when you're born, right? You're just trying to survive. It's all instinct. And then you go into purple, which is like tribal order. So like we, you kind of feel a part of a tribe and this is the, the, the part of it that I feel like having a sense of belonging you know, goes in. And then once you elevate out of, okay, I'm a tribe, then you become this, you know, what, what Tony Robbins calls the power God, which is like me, I'm the one in charge. What I say goes, it only matters what I say above that is blue, which is like, there's a higher power. What the high, like I am here to do the bidding of the higher power. I belong to that above that is orange. That's capitalism. That's like a meritocracy. Um, or, uh, like, like, uh, uh, Oh, there's another word I forget what it is, but it's essentially like you you get belong you get based upon like your ability to achieve, right? That it's it's capitalism. Above that is green. Think socialism. Green is like we will take care of everybody. Like we need everybody to to grow. Yellow is the integrated self. No it's one like, left behind is green. No one left behind. That's exactly what it is. And then yellow above that. Uh, is like having elements of all of it and knowing when to do each one. And then there's turquoise, which is, I, I'm a little unfamiliar with turquoise, but it's like supposed to be like enlightened. Um, no one's there. No one's there. That's Dr. Don Beck says that there's no humans over the first year. That's yeah. what the post-teenage mom crystal guru people are like. Yes, exactly. they're trying, 
they're fake. They're fake turquoise. Well, they're, <laughs> they're fake green. Fake. <laughs> the, the problem with green and yellow is that those are the two levels in which people go like, I got it. Life is about love and connecting to everyone. And if you don't agree with me, I'll go to war with you and kill you. So I remember because when I did this exercise, I was in green, but I'd completely skipped orange and I had no desire. Like whenever I would see people that were like living in a meritocracy or the capital, like I felt like capitalism was so fucking bad and evil. Right. That sounds systemic. Yeah. Um, really interesting. Yep. The fact that you despise that. Who the hell did capitalism kill in your system, Ross? Um, me. I always felt like I I was or I was either well this is interesting because capitalism might have been like I was accused a lot of being like white privilege and I feel like I rejected white privilege. Yeah, you fight against that a lot. And like that's something I hate being accused about the way that I look or the way that I act or or like you know or or how I grew up because I think once I left uh college and I started to like become friends with some of the more artist communities or or you know more diverse communities like I would get a lot of shit and people would be like that's just your white privilege and it hurt like it sucked because I felt like I wasn't included so then I became green and rejected anything that felt like it was taking advantage of people there's got to be something else deeper but I'll I'll do some digging on that and get back to everybody because there there probably is something else there You just need to become a white again. Yeah. For a while there, it was like, oh, Jews aren't whites. But then I was like, well, that sounds dangerous. You know, like, like that would. Um, but anyway, so Brian, I was thinking maybe like if he didn't feel like he had that belonging to a culture, he might have skipped over purple. And purple's like my favorite color. Maybe I'm longing for it. And it's the royal color. I love it. I love purple and green. Yeah. I don't know if there's an answer to, or really a question to what I asked. And it's so interesting that we all want this belonging and this healing with our family. And once you realize what the world, what the word family actually means, you understand that what we need is lineage, not family. Family comes from Greek, from Greek famulus, that means groups of group of slaves owned by one person. Hmm. <laughs> I was just. Uh... Ross and I just watched Boogie Nights in the cemetery two weeks ago, and John C. Riley introduced in it. In a cemetery? Like, yeah, no yeah, more context. No more, yeah, it's, yeah, the yeah. Best, it's the best way to watch movies in L.A. It's a giant cemetery. They show movies every Saturday in the uh, summer and early fall, and it is And you so just sit in graves? Uh, there's like a big lawn where the graves, the graves are surrounding you, but it's like Alfred Hitchcock's grave and like all these like, you know, people of Hollywood, and then there's a giant screen, the sound's amazing, and it's like, Thousands it's called Hollywood Forever. There's like 3,500 people that, it's that go. It's so great. Ross, take me there. Yeah, we could do I'll it I'll take well. you there. Brian, gonna... take me there. All right, good. But uh, John C. Riley talked about Boogie Nights saying this movie is about finding your family, essentially, which is essentially wow. Burt Reynolds is like a slave owner owning his slaves of porn actors. And so it's kind of <laughs> true. It tracks. Halloween movies are fun there. All the weird movies there are like dark and strange. I, Boogie Night, like the first movie I saw there was not a movie that I liked. So, uh, but this one was enjoyable. Like I was still a little in my head. I, I you know, I wore a mask, but you know, it's, I, I'm still nervous about that shit. I'm not. I know. I know you're not. <laughs> Brian went to Disneyland and, and licked all of the characters. What? Why? For the film, almost sounds like a lie, Ross yeah. just told me. <laughs> almost. <laughs> well, this was interesting. 
<laughs> it was a fun episode, yeah. and I really wanted to explain that that thing about pattern and symptoms. You did. I, I I want to give pieces little by little for people to actually start creating the logic to understand life through systemic psychology. Yeah, that's it's so fascinating, and uh, we Ooh. will be having. I think the next episode is a patron listener episode, and Rodrigo will be here in person for it. Yes, Ooh, I will. All right. Do we have any questions from the the audience? I know uh, the patrons have been very active and uh in talking about this stuff so let's ask a question elizabeth asks if my dad is trying to live his second chance through me and trying to fix me and i have stayed quote unquote broken to let him fix me there's a lot of quotes in this is that carrying both the system and the pattern and elizabeth if you're in a place where you can come on camera and on microphone please do so that doesn't necessarily sound like symptom and pattern that sounds more like pattern so let's talk about it elizabeth are you there I'm here. I just can't get my camera on. I don't know why. That's fine. Oh, it's, don't a, worry. it's an audio medium. And if you guys want to hear the deep dive into this answer with Elizabeth, go to patreon.com slash RGP development to hear the full version of this episode. Want more biotypical? Well, good news. There's a longer version of this episode available at patreon.com slash RGP development. There, you'll also be able to find ways to get on the podcast yourself, ask questions, as well as watch a live taping remotely. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and subscribing. Remember to rate this five stars wherever you're listening to it, and we'll see you next time.